You've been very kind to Promised Land Covenant Church, the movement that I'm a part of in that portion of the city. And I love your pastor. Uh, we've been on several uh, different uh, panels together for the seminary, RTS, City to City. And uh, you are a movement uh, to God be the glory for what he's doing through you. It is uh, African American Month, and I appreciate you guys inviting uh, me. Uh, if you haven't noticed, I'm not Korean. I am Afro-Latino, half black, half Spanish. And so, yeah, I got some work to do around getting some African Americans and Latinos up in here. I just wanted to know that. Just an observation in the second service as well. Somebody say amen. amen. Receive it. Don't get it. It's a rebuke, but y'all be all right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, today's scripture is a, is a test, a challenge, and one of my favorite scriptures because it gives, I believe, a mirror image of the condition of today's church. All good Presbyterians start sermons with four questions. This is what Dr. my old boss, who went to be in glory, Dr. Tim Keller and Dr. A. Cho taught us just at the last national conference. And um, very grateful for this lesson. Four questions need to be answered. The first one, Michael, do you believe in miracles? You just heard me say, I've seen too many not to believe. And that's the whole premise of today's sermon. Do you believe in miracles? Let's go to the Word of God. I'm reading from the real Word of God, the authentic Word of God, the English Standard Version, ESV. For those of you who are NIVers and Kate, Kate, that's a joke. Uh, all the academics caught it in the first service, I guess not. In the second service, I guess it's the lay, the lay service. Uh, John chapter 9, starting at verse 1, the Bible says this. As they passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and he made mud with the saliva and he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam which meant sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Came back seeing. I challenge everybody here like I did in the first service, <clears throat> do your own personal study of John chapter 9. Look at it, read, read it in three different translations so you can start to get cracks and crevices of different nuances and so on and so forth. But I believe that when we look at chapter 9, we're looking at an invitation and we're also looking at a heart condition. It's an invitation to believe God for more. I opened up saying, I believe in miracles. <clears throat> I've been in ministry 34 years. And in those 34 years, out of a small charismatic movement in the South Bronx, I've seen God open doors that there's no other way it could have been opened unless it was God. There was no one that could get the credit for it. It wasn't my degree. It wasn't my sensitivity. It wasn't that I was cute. It wasn't that I was the right weight. It's that God decided to do something to show off, first of all, that he's God, that he get the glory. Second of all, get, get my attention so I don't disconnect from him. Third off, that those that are around me would see that God is moving and that they're invited into that movement. Right? Jesus is walking by. And this man who's been blind from birth, uh, is there, and, and he gets healed by the power of Jesus. It starts to get really interesting as those that are around start to process the miracles. Uh, really what Jesus was doing was giving an apologetic, if you will. Apologetic in this context doesn't mean saying sorry. 
But he was giving a deconstruction of what Jews thought in the first century, which was what? That if you had sinned, that that sin would manifest in sickness, disease, or something bad happening throughout your generation. That's why the opening question is, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus responds, nobody sinned. His condition is so that God would get the glory. Let me say this to you, church. Some of you will face situations that if nobody did anything to you, you can't blame anybody, don't blame anybody. God allows us to fall in certain situations so that he can get the glory. He can be seen as God all by himself. And the minute we have that consciousness and that awareness and we've got our pulse on what's happening around us spiritually, we start to be able to navigate and mature and become a healthier missional disciple of Jesus in the way with Jesus. By the time we get to verse 13, it starts to get very, very sticky for those in this text. It says, they brought him to the, to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind, and it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. Let's stop right there. Quickly, quickly. There's no other subject matter. It says, this man is not from God. Why? Because he did not keep the Sabbath. Because he did not keep the Levitical law of don't work on the day of rest. Instead of seeing that this is Messiah space, instead of seeing this man was born blind from birth, and now he can see. This is an absolute miracle. Who? Well, how did this happen? No. They're focused on the religion and not on the person of Christ. And they're not focused on this guy's life being transformed by something other than their own understanding of who God is. I would say to you that that's the condition of the church today. I'm privileged to serve across the country, across the nation, even out of the country. Pray my strength, I'll be in Costa Rica in 10 days, doing this with 45 missiologists from throughout Central and South America, uh, expounding on what does polity look like, what does missional movement look like, what does revival look like in these days, in this time, and in this hour. As I go across the country, what I'm seeing is that more and more church movements, more and more networks, more and more reformed, traditionally uh, heritage movements and networks are thirsty and are waking up to a desire to encounter the Holy Spirit, to encounter the person of the Holy Spirit. We lost a general yesterday, I don't know if you know this, Dr. Henry Blackaby, uh, Southern Baptist, who started a, a movement called Experiencing God. Uh, that's a great manuscript and a great curriculum to study, especially coming from a Baptist, who tend not to believe in uh, Holy Spirit manifestation and the Holy Spirit movement and our giftings. But this man went to be uh, in the presence of God. And we have for, uh, for 20 years taught his material. How do we live a life that's interfacing with what the Holy Spirit is doing? How do we determine? How do we discern? How do we connect with miracle signs and wonders with movement that God's already doing around them. We may not have started, but may already be happening in your context. Churches are yearning for something tangible after COVID. Churches and young people are yearning for a move of God. 
that's not nationalist, that's not racist, that's not uh, neutral or silent on the real issues of today, right? They're hungry for a move of God that would bring transformation and liberation and a fresh anointing to break the back of the enemy, in particularly in urban spaces and margin spaces. When you turn around and you think about what's happening, where are we as a church in the West? Second question, why do we not see miracle signs and wonders here? Why do we not see miracle signs and wonders in the church in the West? And I'll tell you why, because miracle signs and wonders, that's, that's, that's messy ministry. That's messy ministry. We call ourselves people of the book and people of resurrection. We, 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 we wear this like a title, like a, like a badge. But in order to be people of the book, we have to know the book, live the book, expound on the book, reveal the book, study the book, assess the book, live out the pages. Secondly, if we're going to be people of resurrection, you have to be around dead people. To invite dead people into your space is messy ministry. To invite people with dead situations into your nice, little, neat church is messy ministry. You want to see people's lives change? Then bring in and invite people that have problems in their lives and wrestle with that and wrestle with them on their behalf to seek the transformation. I'm going to tell you, I've seen too many miracles. I got up there, I had three minutes to drop it like it's hot, and I said, you got to believe in miracles. you got to believe in Jesus. you got to believe. Not just cite the creed, Westminster, Heidelberg, not just confess, not just know the Nicene Creed, not just, not just we live, we, we understand the construct and the need for it, our foundation. But beyond that, what about deliverance? What about supernatural healing? I've seen too much not to believe. I shared with the first service, I was, I was called by, uh, Pastor Diane and I were called, family in Brooklyn, the young, young lady was on 138th Street at a party. She gets into an argument defending somebody else, another friend of hers. As she walks away, a guy pulls out a 22, blows off the back of her head. They call me and Pastor Diane, we want you to come in. Jennifer's dying. We want you to come do last rites. I'm a Pentecostal. I'm a Reformed charismatic. I don't do last rites. The Bible that I read teaches me to call those things that are not as though they are. To believe beyond what I see. And to not just accept the report because the report came from you. There's another reporter. He's the Holy Ghost. And sometimes he's going to say something that is totally contrary to everything that's being said to me at the moment concerning the situation. And we got to that hospital, and they already had the, the Catholic priest there, and he did his thing. Then afterwards we came in, and we came in old school. In my tradition, we pull out the oil, the oil. Goya oil, virgin oil. We go to the bodega, we go get it. You guys know what bodegas are, right? Every bodega in the hood got Goya oil. That's, that should be liberating for you today. And I go in there, I get this Goya oil, and they say, oh my God, Pastor Mike. Listen, it's God's will. It's his choreography. And if it's, perfect, if it's, his, if it's his perfect will to take her, well then praise be unto God because he gives and he takes but if there be a chance that we can pray a prayer of faith and believe that God can grant her life, then I would say we, we, we confess life 
before I accept death. I didn't come here to give a last right. I came here to speak life into what is a dead situation. That was 15 years ago. Today, that young lady has three children, is married, living, breathing, walking in the land of the living. Had I listened to the report walking into the, into the room and just said, Lord, we cast her ashes to ashes, dust to dust. No, no. And I would say that's even a prophetic imagery for us as a church. I believe that God is calling the church today not to give final rights, not to give death rights, but to prophesy, but to speak truth to power, but to believe beyond what we're seeing, speak against this nationalism and this racism, speak against this polarization that has split the church and split the world in half. Speak and believe in the kingdom of God. And then allow the kingdom to put you in situations where he's got to fight for you because you can't fight for yourself. That's messy ministry. That's dirty ministry. That's ministry that you go home and you have a headache. You know, this message is going someplace else than where it was in the first one. But I believe that there's somebody here that needs to hear this. God is calling you out of the mundane and God wants you to know that for such a time as this, that power has been bestowed upon you. Gifts have been deposited within you. All you've got to do is surrender to and say, Lord, where is the moment where you want me to walk in that supernatural faith? We get to this text and look at the condition of the church. They have gotten to the place where the Pharisees are now calling this guy's parents. Was he ever really blind? Was he ever really blind? How can a man who was a sinner do such things is the question they have about Jesus. And the division became among them. Verse 17. So they said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? He said he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had, he had, he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But now how he sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they understood the Jews. And, they're, and, they're, and, they're, and they had already agreed that if anyone would confess Jesus to be the Christ, they would be put out of the synagogue. So the parents back up out of this politically and they say, ask him, he's a grown adult. To get to the next verse. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. I shared with the first group in 1986, Time Life put out this report that if anybody smoked crack once, they were addicted for the rest of their lives. Statistics, clinically and scientifically stated, if you smoke crack cocaine once, you are addicted for the rest of your life. There's no hope for you. That's it. Throw away the keys. Addicted for the rest of your life. I shouldn't be standing here in front of you if that's the truth. According to the data and the scientific declaration, I should not be in my right mind. According to the data, according to where I come from, and oh, you mean, it's not just my addiction. I come from a long line of addicted people. And the charismatic theology, we call this thing a generational curse, if you will. Well, what does that mean? My father was addicted to drugs. His father was addicted to drugs. 
I was addicted to drugs. My sons were addicted to drugs. My oldest son in particular picked up this thing and he was lost. But you know what happens? When God just gets one person in a family, he can do miracles, signs, and wonders. How many believe that? You just need one believer in the family to turn the whole family around. You just need one willing heart to speak truth, to speak life, and to believe that God is able and watch a family demographic change. So I went to Teen Challenge and I graduated. Then my father-in-law, who was also strung out, went to Teen Challenge and graduated. Then my sister went to Teen Challenge and graduated. Then my oldest son, when he got strung out, graduated from Teen Challenge. I mean, we were batting a thousand with this addiction thing. But all four of us have experienced the deliverance of the Spirit of God. In my tradition, this is where the church would say amen. Because we're all in our right minds. Today, my oldest son is a director of Teen Challenge, preaching and teaching and getting other young men off of drugs to the glory of God. But according to the demographics and the data, he should even be alive. He should not even be doing what he's doing. But he's chasing after Jesus. Chasing after Jesus because there was an interruption to that curse. There was an interruption to that situation. And there was a willing heart to surrender to what the Spirit wanted to do. There's a heart condition in this chapter that if we don't wrestle with it in the now, we will be just like these Pharisees. When God starts to move among us, we will question. And I understood that this is a questioning church. Because I went to your website because, you know, I had to find your address. And it said, Exilic Church, thinkers welcome. Thinkers welcome. I said, whoo, this is a gathering of the elite. There's a gathering of the skeptic. There's a gathering of people who probably think so much they can't tie their shoe. You ever overanalyze, overthink? Maybe that's just me. But we can come into a place where we overanalyze, overcriticize, overthink, and impede the very thing that God wants to do in our lives. The church here is analyzing Levitical law so to the, to the Shabbat. He violated Shabbat. There's no way this could be God. He violated Sabbath. Contra, you worried about mud? And this guy now can see? This is a cataclysm. Messiah is in front of you. Messiah is in front of you and you can't see it. Because you're citing a creed. Because you're caught on a doctrine. Because you're caught on religion. But in front of you, God is saying, see me. If only the church could see me. If only the church could see me. He says, I don't know who this guy was. But I do know that I was once blind. But now I see. I don't know what was the clinical intervention. I don't know what happened in my body. I don't know what happened in my psyche but I do know that I was once addicted to drugs and now 40 years clean. That is a miracle of God. And nobody can take that from me. You don't have to believe it and understand it for it to be true. But I've been set free by the blood of the lamb. I've been delivered from a curse that took my father, my grandfather, probably his father, but it did not take me. 
And when they tried to take my son, the Holy Spirit said, you can't have him either. And when they tried to take my sister, the Holy Spirit said, no, you can't have. No, 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 no. Interruption of generation curse. Miracles. You want to see miracles at Exilic Church? Start inviting other cultures, races. Start inviting dead people into your living services. It's going to stink. It's going to get messy. You're going to be challenged. You have to culturally shift. You're going to have to have a new hermeneutic. You're going, to have to, you're, going to have to, you're going to have to do and learn things that you've never done before. You're going to feel uncomfortable. People come in here with different belief systems, and you cater them and disciple them and bring them into the presence of God. Teach them what liturgy, liturgia is. Teach them what the beloved community is. Teach them what real, living, healthy, missional discipleship in Jesus the Christ really is. Not this consumerism. Not this six points and a smile stuff. That was pre-COVID and then post-COVID, everybody lost their mind as if Jesus was off the throne, right? Invite dead people into this service and watch God start to resurrect families. Watch God start to resurrect futures. Watch God start to resurrect marriages. Watch God stop things that are dying from dying and bring them to life. I was called to Lincoln Hospital. A young woman was partying one night. She had a three-month-old baby. And she had a bottle of, of, of see-through liquid. She thought it was the bottle of water, but it was actually a bottle of vodka. And she took that vodka and she put it in her baby's three-month-old milk, mixed it in, and then gave it to the baby. So now the baby has alcohol, toxicity, poisoning, and they're calling me again to do what? Bless the death. And I can't do that. That may be God's will, but... I'm not going to say that's God's will. I'm going to go believe that God is a merciful God. I'm going to believe that God, the way he interrupted my death, can interrupt the death of this child. I went there and I prayed, me and other pastors, and we believed that baby's alive today. Limited, has issues, but that baby's still in the land of the living. And that woman was able to come to Christ, find forgiveness, and forgive herself She's a deacon, preaches and teaches all over South America now. And her testimony is her, her baby and that whole situation. I believe in miracles. When somebody comes out of jail and they've been doing 35 years behind the wall, Department of Corrections, statistics say that there's no way they can acclimate or reintegrate into society. I'm here to tell you that where there seems to be no way, Jesus makes a way. My father did 25 years. I grew up in jail. My mother did six, I grew up visiting mommy and daddy and level four security facilities all over New York State. It was ironic when I became the highest ranking social worker in the very prison where my mother and father served. Walking through the same halls where my mother and father served and did their time on Rikers Island. I'm serving and helping 9,000 inmates a day with their pre-release and voc rehab integration back into society. Only God can do things like that. Only God can choreograph miracles like that. And sometimes we don't even see it as a miracle because of the heart condition that we have. Because it doesn't fit our little religious space. Let me say this to you. Every time you gather as the beloved community, it's an opportunity for a miracle. 
It's an opportunity for the transformative work of the Holy Spirit to change a life. I don't, even, I don't want to embarrass anybody here. I don't, want you to, I don't want you to raise your hands. But I don't think that you're sitting here today packed from front to back in both services because you had nothing better to do today. I think everybody that attends this church knows that they need Jesus. Because I know your pastor, pastors, and they're teaching. They're te- you're in a teaching church. Praise be to God. You're in a teaching church. You got no excuse up in this place. You got some diversity learning, but you know, you, 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 you. you. Amen. I'm going to say it again. <laughs> right? This is a teaching place. But you come here because you need Jesus. You come here because you have a hole in your soul and only Jesus can fill it. And you come here week after week with the need, Jesus, meet me. Jesus, speak to me. Jesus, I cast my cares before you because I know you, you love me. You're a miracle. Sitting next to a miracle. Who doesn't know they're a miracle? The church condition today, we're fighting too much to see the miracles. We're fighting too much nationalism to see the Holy Spirit moving in the generation coming behind us. Uh, me and Dr. Chung are already, I know he looks much younger than I am, and he probably is, but me and him are already the senior citizens in this game. The future, the future of this movement is you. And if you're there in a catatonic state, asleep with your eyes open, not knowing how to dig in, surrender, and to pursue Messiah space, we are in trouble. The world is in trouble. If we don't have a a, a communal lament at the condition, at the dryness, at the dry spell of the church in the West today. I believe that God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. I believe that God would do something so specific, so powerful, so awesome in your personal life, in your family life, in your ministry, on your school, in your job, if you just were to see him. If these eyes could see what God has for them. You know, we opened up the church, and I opened up a church on a dream because I'm, you know, charismatic Pentecostal is my formation. So we have a dream, and right away we run with it. You know what I'm saying? We believe God speaks to us through dreams. I know Reformed exegesis and hermeneutics teaches a different way, but I believe that my God speaks to me. Not a new revelation. The entire revelation of God is concealed between Genesis and, and, and Revelation. The full revelation, talking about salvific grace, consummation, everything. We understand full revelation comes from God. But God speaks to me in the now and today for me to grow, for me to preach, for me to teach, for me to empower other people in faith. And I truly believe, I truly believe that the future is not me, it's you. And you've got to wake up to that because he's inviting you into that for such a time as this. You're not packed from here to the back because you guys are a giant social club. You're packed because you're thirsty for a move of God that would transform your heart and those in your world. He says, all I know is that I was blind and now I see. And then they turn around at the end of the, and they cast him out. You, you're a sinner. Who are you to teach us now? That's the condition of the church I believe in the West. We don't want to hear it. Our heart has gotten hard because of our idols, 
because of our stubbornness, because we've lifted up sociopolitical ideation above sacred texts and the word of God. Our church in the West needs to repent and come back. Matter of fact, I'll even say this. You might get offended at it. Don't have me back. This was never a Christian nation. This was born a pagan nation with racism, rape, and murder as the foundation. We need to repent and become a safe place for all who would come who are thirsty. I love that song by Vineyard, All Who Are Thirsty. Just come to the fountain and drink. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for a miracle in your family, in your life? Are you thirsty? Do you need God to do something different with you in this season? Are you thirsty? I think you are. And I pray that he meets that thirst. Let's pray.